So welcome to Confessions of a Serial Seller. Absolutely honored to have an amazing guest with me today. He is a sales guru from Dubai. He is a, a CEO of Make It Happen and Make It Happen University. And he's the author of Making It Happen, The Ultimate Guide to Sales. And Spencer Lodge, thank you so much for joining me today. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too, my friend. Um, Spencer, I've followed you for many years. I've learned a lot from you. You've shared some incredible content on, on all the social platforms for, for a good while now. Tell my audience a little bit about how you first got into sales, how, how your journey began. So going back to when I was a kid, I was a ski instructor and it was summer. I was laying in bed and mum kicked me out of bed and said, it's time to go and get a proper job. And I was like, I've got a proper job. I'm a ski instructor. Yeah. She's like, it's August. There's no snow. I get out of bed. And yeah. uh, <laughs> she, she ran a recruitment consultancy. And so I got three job interviews. One was a trainee car salesman at a BMW dealership in, in uh, Bishop Stortford in Hertfordshire. Another one was a trainee estate agent. And the other one was a trainee photocopier salesman. And so I obviously went for the car dealership because it came with a 316 BMW. And when you're 19 years old, that's everything. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when he said that, nothing else in the job did I register or listen to. Anyway, so I did that. Um, after a month, I got fired for having the wrong attitude. I then uh, went and applied again for the company that sells office equipment and that come with a, an escort, but it was still a free car. So that would do. Yeah. And um, <laughs> this was back in the, in the late 80s. and. I learned to sell office equipment and, and my job every day was to go and knock on 100 doors on my patch, which was EC3 in the city, um, and then come back with 100 compliment slips and make 100 cold calls. And I remember the first day of making the cold calls, my boss said to me, I want you to go and find 99 people to say no. And I, and I remember I'm young, so I don't have an attitude around it. I don't have any preconceived ideas. I'm just yeah. young, so I'm learning. So I picked the phone up and made these phone calls. And, you know, the nicest thing someone said to me was no thank you. And the rest of it was abusive. And yeah. I got to the end of the day and I went to the boss and said, I've got the 99 no's. And he gave me a high five and a hug. He said, brilliant job. Well done. And I was like, what's that all about? Anyway, so the next yeah. day, same thing again, made the 99 calls, went to my boss. He said, brilliant. He said, look. I want you to understand the importance of getting no's mm. because if you get the no's, that means you're working closer towards a yes. Mm. And remember, you need the no's to get a yes. Now remember, I'm green. I'm not experienced. And what he, what he was trying to teach me was to deal with rejection yeah. and understand that rejection was part of sales. And so the more I accepted rejection as being part of the game, the more I was going to cope with it um, and not be one of these people that became terrified of the phone or terrified of prospecting and stuff like that. He said, look, you're only ever going to find a yes when you've asked enough people that have said no to you. So every day you've got to go find no's because they're your steps to, to the yes. Yeah. So that was a great, great learning experience for me. And, and selling office equipment in London, there were loads and loads of companies doing it. It was highly competitive. So it was a great training ground for me in sales. Um, and... Uh, and it was, you know, it was, it was fun as well. There were a hundred people in the office. There's loads of guys like me, you know, trainees and experienced people. There were people in there earning like 300,000 pounds a year. And to me, that was the number I couldn't even add up. Yeah. You know, and I, I was, I, mean, I was eight, 19 years old, 18 years old. Um, and then, then kind of like there was, I, I really got, I was really passionate about selling because I started to earn, I don't know, 40, 50,000 pounds a year. And all my mates were earning 10 or 15 grand yeah. a year. So I was doing really well. And it was Thursday night and there's, there's a pub or a wine bar in the city at the end of a street called Minories, called Minories Wine Bar, not far from Tower Bridge. 
And I'm, I, I saw this girl as I walked in there, I just saw her. She was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. She was just stunning. And so I was with a couple of mates, we had a couple of beers, and they're like, well, go and talk to her. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not talking to her. Yeah. Eventually, a couple of hours later, I walk over to her, and she's like, why didn't you come and say hello earlier? I was like, what do you mean? She said, you've been staring at me for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, I asked her what she did. She told me she worked for an architectural firm. She was a secretary or something, told me about her job and her family and stuff. And she said, what do you do? I said, I'm a salesman. And she just looked at me and rolled her eyes and was like, oh, why did I have to meet a salesman? And I was like, well, what were you hoping to meet? She said, I don't know, an investment banker, a lawyer, I don't know, somebody, somebody, you know, not a salesman. And I just, it really, it really upset me, it really bothered me in that moment, put a chip on my shoulder because I was really proud of what I did. Yeah. And I said to her, look, your company is an architectural firm and it sells architectural services. People go to your company if they want to have a property designed or a building design. That's what your company does. And if you don't have any customers or any clients, your business doesn't make any money. If it doesn't make any money, then you, you don't have a job. Mm. So you need to understand that first things first, your business needs to make revenue. And secondly, where does the revenue come from? Well, it comes mm. from salespeople going out there and finding the revenue. The other thing you need to understand is that these guys go through psychological highs and lows on a weekly basis. You know, they can face rejection, they can have a win, you know, they're up high because they've just scored a deal or they're on their knees because that deal they thought they were going to get isn't going to happen. But they've still got to make sure there's food on the table. They've still got to pay for their car. They've still got to pay for the rent or the mortgage. And they don't get their steady salary every month like you do. So give these people a bit of a respect and understand they've got a really tough job to do. Yeah with attitudes like yours it doesn't help them and it kind of changed their thinking but got me on a bit of a mission to mm. wanting salespeople to be respected mm. and so i forever have wanted salespeople to be respected because i think it's an incredible industry mm. it's an incredible job and it's something you can do forever when you learn how to do it yeah but not only that my daughter's at university and when she leaves she's going to go for a job interview and she's probably going to fail the first interview because she doesn't know how to sell herself yeah so we need it in all aspects of our lives. And so I've been very passionate for a long time of, of taking the profession of sales seriously, caring very much about the skills required and, and, the, and, the, and the constant re-education required as things have evolved over the years. And, and I just think that, and I wish and I pray that other people felt the same way. And I'm on a mission to make that happen. Well, I love your passion that comes out. And I absolutely agree with you. Everyone is in sales. No matter what you do, as you said, if your daughter's selling herself for a, for an, a job opportunity. Uh, and I know you've worked probably with thousands of salespeople now throughout your career. In your valued opinion, what does separate the top 1% of performers from the mediocre? Um, it's, I think, self-awareness, limiting beliefs and... <clears throat> And I think work ethic. You have a lot of people that say you need to be smart and you don't need to work hard, but I just think that's a load of nonsense. Of course mm. you can work hard at the wrong thing, but having a really strong work ethic, a real commitment to work and effective time management and focusing on money-making activities. Um, I think if you're good at doing that or you're committed to doing that, then I think you can be successful. Mm. And I think the other thing is you've got to have purpose. You know, mm. you've got to have a why. There's got to be a reason for it. And a lot of people don't. They face a bit of rejection. They don't know why they're doing it. They kind of fall into sales because they couldn't get a job anywhere else or they don't have necessary qualifications to go and do something that they might like to do. And, and for me, that's just, you know, that's really sad. 
Mm. Because I think that you can, anyone can be successful at sales. Anyone. You know, people say, oh, you've got to have the gift of the gab and all that rubbish. No, you don't. Mm. Some of the best salespeople I've ever met are introverts like you wouldn't yeah. believe. Yeah. Very yeah. shy types of people. But they're on a mission. You know, they, they have purpose. They, they believe in what they sell and they believe about in the value that they bring. And they know that they're, when they're talking to their prospects, they're actually helping their prospects. Yes. Me, like a financial advisor that I was for so many years, the, I, I felt like I was the fifth emergency service. Yeah. So <clears throat> there's police, there's ambulance, there's fire, there's the automobile association, and there's me. And my job was to stop people messing up their money. Yeah. My job was to stop people retiring broke. My job was to make sure that people insured themselves against any issue that might happen so that their family was protected. Yeah. And I took that really seriously, yeah. like really seriously. So if I met anyone, okay, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't kind of, you see salespeople do this. They kind of skirt around the subject. Yeah. Or they, they're kind of shy to say what they do. I, you know, I'm an executive this, or I'm a, you know, uh, all these fancy titles, vice president of XYZ nonsense. And for me, it's like, I stop people messing up their money. That's what I do. And so the way I do it is by giving them sensible financial advice. And, you know, most people don't do that. And so that's, that's a little bit about how I came about it. And this is why I think um, it's important to understand we could all be good at selling, number one. And number two, um, there are some, you have to have that, that, that key drive. You have to know where you're going and it has to matter to you. Mm, I love that. And you mentioned your background there with uh, being an IFA. Uh, and I'm sure you've worked with many IFAs as well in your time. Some, some of the IFAs I work in the UK work with, they charge 1% fees initially and then maybe 0.75% fees going. But some of them are charging 3% up front with 1% ongoing. How do, why, do, why can some people command those different fee structures and others can't? Um, it's about what you're worth, isn't it? Mm. And how, do you, how do you articulate that? Well, what, it all depends on what you're worth. So um, if, if you're in a business and... I don't know, you, you, you take the hourly rate a lawyer charges. Yeah. You can go to a top law firm like a Clifford Chance, Allen and Overy, and you'll pay £700 an hour. Yeah. You can go to the guy on the high street and he'll charge 150 quid an hour. Yeah. So, so why can Clifford Chance charge more than the guy on the high street? Well, because they believe they're worth more. Yeah. Did they have, have they read the law in more detail? You could argue they have or they haven't. Yeah. You know, they get it wrong sometimes. You can argue they do and they don't. But they believe they're worth more. And I think it's down to what, how, how you value yourself and how you value your time. And I certainly won't get out of bed for any less than what I think I'm worth. And I don't think anybody else should. Now, being, being worth something and delivering something is another matter. If you're, if you're charging 1% and somebody else is charging 3% and, and literally you're both delivering the same thing, then, you know, buyer beware. Yes. Yeah, that's a fair comment. You touched on the word earlier that I think so many salespeople, this word is what prevents them from picking up that phone. It's what prevents them from asking for that business. And it's that, that big rejection word. And you obviously, you, you started by, it sounds like a very good manager who said to you, go get 99 of those every day. And that helped build up your, probably your backbone. But it's, it's easier said than done. So what's some of your best advice or tips for some of my listeners who are thinking, sounds great, but I'm still petrified of making that cold call. What's some of your suggestions there? 
Okay, so it's quite a detailed subject, this. The first thing I think you've got to understand if, you, if you're scared of picking up the telephone is why are you scared? What are you scared of? Has the telephone got teeth? Is it going to bite you? Um, and if it's not going to bite you, then what's the worst thing that can happen on a phone call? And that, the worst thing that can happen is someone could say no. So let's understand why somebody would say no. Well, not everybody's interested in your product and service. Yeah. And, and why would they be? Why would everybody be interested in what you do? You're not interested in what everyone else does. Yeah. You, you don't say yes to everybody that contacts you trying to sell you something. Mm. You, you have your preferred brand of bread that you buy from the supermarket. Mm. You go and pick it up. It's the one you're comfortable with. Some of you have your preferred brand of clothes and cars and whether that's next, Hugo Boss, Giorgio Armani, whoever it may be, you've made that decision that you like that more. And, you know, some of your reasoning for making that decision might be, you know, wrong. You know, it might be the same sweatshop in China that Armani and Gucci make their clothes. So heard stories about that kind of stuff before but it's what we like so the first thing i would i would get everybody to understand is that look there are going to be people that say no so expect it welcome it okay and also don't try and convince people that aren't interested in your product i see a lot of people doing this oh, the way you sell is to i mean if somebody says no then think about another way but if someone's not interested in what you do because they actually don't have an interest you're flogging a dead horse yeah so and so, and don't take it personally. They're not. They're not rejecting you. They're just. Re they're just not. They're just rejecting the product. Now, a lot of salespeople that don't like picking up the telephone actually aren't very good at using the telephone. Yeah. And so, to be good at anything, you have to practice. And that doesn't mean you have to practice picking up the phone. That's that's not the solution. Because if you repeat the same madness over and over again, you know what's going to happen. Yeah. The way that you get really good on the phone is by learning how to be good and then role playing. Mm. And salespeople, all your listeners here, oh, I don't like role playing. It's a false situation. Yeah. It's not real. That's a load of bollocks. Yeah. There's nothing better than role playing because yeah. you're on a, high, a heightened state of alert. You're with your peers. You can be judged. Okay. But if you can deliver in a role play, picking up the phones a walk in the park. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I love that. And I, I'm absolutely on your page there. And you spoke there about you know, needing to constantly learn, grow and develop. You know, we, we are lifelong learners, some of the best salespeople in the world. What's some of the best advice that you've personally been given uh, in a sales perspective? Advice from customers or advice from people that have taught me? Maybe both, actually. Whatever you, whatever you took as great advice that's helped carve out your career. Um. I think, I think when, when, I, when I look at the, the teachings that I had over the years, because um, there's a couple of people involved in this. So the first guy that taught me to sell was a guy called David Schillingus. And David um, was epic because he was really encouraging, really supportive. And he, you know, we used to train every morning in our office in London at 6.15 till 8 a.m. And I used to have to drive from out there Colchester every morning. And so it was an hour into work. I was up at 4.30, leave at 5.00 five till six drive in, six o'clock into the office, grab a coffee, start the training. And, and, and we had regimented training every single day, five days a week. And so <clears throat> it, it taught me a lot of discipline. Along with that rejection, it taught me discipline and repetition and how important it was. Mm. Um, it, it taught me how important it was to understand my product inside and out and upside down, but yeah. also to understand, okay, everything about sales. And when you have, uh, when you have a desire to learn, 
you pick the people that you like the most. You know, some people have liked the Brian Tracys around the world over the years. But for me, for me, the person that resonated with me as a young man was Zig Ziglar. Yeah. And then he used to talk in his southern droll, you know, you gotta have goals, he used to say. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and, 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 you know, and, and, and I had the, the, the cassette tapes that were in the car and I used to listen to Zig Ziglar. And then the person that took my career from, I, I was earning decent money in financial advice. I, I was in Europe at the time and I remember I was earning about 250 grand a year. And I thought, you know, I, thought I was, I thought I was pretty cool. You know, I was in my twenties yeah. and let, you know, like, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Um, and then I did, uh, uh, I bought a six CD set of Get the Edge with Tony Robbins. Yeah. And I just, I just got a car and it had a CD stacker in the boot. Yeah, I remember that. I've arrived. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was the badass, you know. So yeah. I put my six CDs in there and I listened only to those six CDs for 12 months whenever I was in the car. Yeah. And my, my income went up times four. Okay. All because of what Tony taught me. And then I went on a, uh, one of these UPW on Easter Power within weekends with Tony. And then I paid for his coaching and I had him to coach me. And he just, he just thought much bigger than me. He just yeah. had much in his mind. That, you know, I was playing the game small. He's playing this game so much bigger. And taught me to understand that I was getting in my own way. Mm. And, and it taught me to understand that I needed to get out of my own way. I needed mm. to stop having the mindset and the beliefs that I had. And I see so many salespeople that are either arrogant, obnoxious, or know-it-alls, or won't listen, think they know it all, think they can't be taught, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, I'm 50, yes you can, yeah. okay? And you get people like that that are, that are failing, or they're, they're living yeah. in a world of mediocrity. Yeah. You get up every day, they earn 60, 70 grand a year, they've got their company 520 BMW, okay? And, and, and they're doing okay. They're not at the top of the leaderboard in whichever company they're in, they're just doing okay. Yeah. And to me, that's just, that's such a shame for not only them, but it's such a shame for their family too, mm. because they wouldn't allow in a million years their children to behave like that. Yes. Okay, they wouldn't allow in a million years for their wife to behave like that in a business venture she got involved. Yes. But they think it's okay to behave like that themselves. And that's, that's such a shocking shame. And that's, what, that's why, and it's not just sales, in most industries, in most businesses, most people live a life of mediocrity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I think that's really good advice. Um, and I've, I've been on the Unleash the Power Within as well, actually. I was, I'm very lucky. I've got Jack, uh, Jarek Robbins coming on my show next week, which I'm super excited. And I also was a massive Zig fan for years. And I, I fortunately interviewed his son, Tom, uh, two weeks ago, who's an awesome guy, now runs the Ziggler Corporation. So, and he's got very similar mannerisms to his dad, and, which is wonderful. I love it. The same voice is beautiful to watch. What's... <laughs> What's what I know you've been obviously your background, you started in car sales for a matter of weeks, then photocopies, and then obviously an IFA, and now you run a training company amongst other things. What's been one of the, the best deals that you've personally won in terms of that gave you either the most satisfaction or taught you the biggest lesson in sales? Oh, God, man, there's some stories here. Okay, so when I was young, when we, when we were working in photocopiers, um, it was really hard to get leads. It was really hard to do that. And we, we decided to do something that I think nowadays would be regarded as industrial espionage. Yeah. So, so just forgive me as I explain it. And don't judge me, any of you that are listening yeah. to this. Right? Don't judge me. I was a kid. I was doing as I was told. Yeah. We, we used to steal the rubbish bags from our competitors. Right. 
because back then no one had shredders and everyone had word processors. So if a, if a quote was done incorrectly, it would just be screwed up and chucked in the bin. Brilliant. And so every Tuesday night we would go and get from our three nearest competitors, we would go and get their rubbish bins, take them to the office, the next day put overalls on and marigold gloves, pull the bags open, get rid of the tea bags and the coffee cups and stuff, and pull out the quotes. Love it. And one of the companies um, was the RSPCA, who that company were quoted on for 124 machines. So it was a massive deal. And, um, and I stepped in and um, I stepped in and, uh, and they were in Horsham in West Sussex. Now my patch was EC3. So Horsham, yeah. West Sussex, that was just like the other side of the world at that yeah. time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Your patch is five minutes away and now you're going to West Sussex, you <laughs> yeah. know. And so... Um, I went down there to see them, had a meeting with them, came back and then we had a showroom in London and I invited the decision maker or the person in charge of organising the information to the showroom and my boss said to me, look, um, do yourself a favour, invite her for lunch afterwards, okay, get to know her a bit better before you put her on the train back. And I was like, okay, boss, okay. So I showed her this equipment, these, these machines, these fax machines and copiers and stuff and she liked them all and all that kind of stuff. I said, well, can I, can I buy you lunch? And she said, no, thank you. And I was like, oh no, I was yeah. devastated. And then, um, and then uh, she went back to Horsham and then uh, I thought the deal was gone. And a few weeks later, we got a fax saying, uh, we'd, like to, we'd like to process the order. Can you yeah. provide us the paperwork? And so we drove, we drove down there and I was with my boss and we drove down there in his car. We got there and he's like, don't say a word. Yeah. And so we sat in the meeting and they went, look, we've had 10 different quotes. We think we're going to go with you. You're the right guys for us, blah, blah, blah. And they went to sign the paperwork. And I said, well, I'm glad we didn't get into a Dutch auction then with everybody else. And in that <laughs> <laughs> in that moment, my boss stamps on my foot and uh, I, I got in the car on the way back and he whacked me in the face. He said, why would you say something like that? <laughs> that? That was a little bit of a lesson for me. Another situation happened where we were, we had the Polytechnic of Central London. They had us and a competitor's very big photocopier machine in there. And, I, and they were like, they were, couldn't decide between the two. So my boss said to me, look, incentivize them. Why don't you, okay, this is a big deal. There's lots of commission involved in this. Why don't you offer the three decision makers um, a shopping trip to New York? We can afford that. They could go, I was like, okay. And so I go there the next day and I'm like, look, we really want to get this deal done. We'd love to invite you to New York, put in, go and see a show, hotel and some money to go shopping and enjoy yourself. And uh, they said, you can come and collect your machine. Really? They were, they were socialists. They were like, had I said to them, we'd like to donate 20% of the money we make to, yeah. this, to the college charity, we'd have got the deal. Yeah. But because I tried to bribe them, okay, and I, again, I was 19 years ago, I tried to bribe them, they weren't having any of it. And it was like, right, never ever bribe anyone. Yeah. So that, that was a really important lesson for me. And yeah. something that, that really stuck with me is like, don't ever try and buy the client. And I suppose the the the... I, I knew what I wanted to achieve and I knew that nobody else had done as a financial advisor what I needed to do and everybody told me it wasn't possible. So I used to, I had three choices. It was cold calling, um, networking, which essentially was going to clubs and associations and prospecting, okay, or referrals. Yeah. Well, I didn't want a cold call. I didn't like networking. There's something about going to stand in a room full of strangers and yeah. making small talk that was just, I don't like that, right? Yeah. I know lots of people do. I hate it. Yeah. You know, people busy swapping business cards and that kind of stuff. It just wasn't me. So my, my solution was going to be get referrals. Now, I needed, I needed to see 10 first a week, two a day which meant I needed to have 15 meetings in my diary, including swerves to see the 10. Yeah. And I knew I needed three referrals to see, have one first go in the diary. 
Yeah. So that meant I needed 45 referrals a week to get 15 meetings in the diary yeah. to see 10 and to close four. And now the most referrals anyone in the company had ever got was like five or 10 in a week. And I was like, well, I've got to get, that's nine a day I've got to get. That's four and a half in the morning, four and a half in the afternoon. Yeah. And on the back of our fact find, we used to have these, um, this space for introductions. So there was one, two, three. You got introductions that went there. And I was like, I need, I need more than three though. And so I had the fact find redesigned. So the whole back page was introductions. And so I'd sit there and I'd say, look, I work on referral. That's how the business works. I gave all my spiel and stuff and then I'll just put my head down and I, and I, I just asked for the first referral and I didn't want to give them the world to think about. I had to narrow it down to who they played golf with or whatever it may be. Yeah. Got the first referral. I'm like, great. Okay. 14 to go. And they're like, 14. And I'm like, well, yeah, everyone gives us 14. Uh, everyone gives us 15. And they're like, do they? I'm like, yeah. yeah. You, don't, you don't know 15 people at work. Or you're, yeah. I'll make it easy for you. Okay. We'll just do 10. Oh, okay, fine, 10, okay. And all of a sudden, it was a bit of relief for 10. And then I started just smashing it out of the park. And I, yeah. and I, and I literally I wanted to earn a million pounds in a year, which meant it needed to be 20,000 pounds a week. My case size was 5,000 pounds. I needed four deals a week. I needed 10 first scenes to do four deals, blah, blah, blah. And I was getting 45 minimum per week, which meant every person I saw was referred. So when you see someone who's referred, they refer you because that's how they were introduced to you. Yes. So... And, and the people saw me doing that and they were like, I can't believe that you do that. There's something else going on. So I used to take other financial advisors with me to watch those meetings um, to demonstrate that I really would say it. And what on, uh, two things I used to do as well. Number one, uh, I, I targeted all of my advice on bankers mm. because I know that financial advisors are scared to sell to bankers. That's because they think bankers know as much as they do. Yes. But the reality is bankers, you know, I used to sit down and say, if you have a dinner party at your house, people come around and you're a banker. The people ask you what to do with money. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, you don't know though, do you? They're like, no. Like, yeah. <laughs> because they don't. Okay. If they work on a dealing room floor in treasury, then maybe, but banks are so much bigger than that. So I made a beeline for bankers. And so that, that worked in my favor as well. And the other thing is I used to have a really strong approach to selling in terms of laying down the rules so I used to be very clear at the beginning, look, look Mr. Prospect, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste your time. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. Okay, if you accept that, then we can move forward. Mm -hmm. But look, I'm known to be a straight talker. Mm -hmm. I say it like it is. Mm -hmm. Now, would you like me to fluff it up around the edges or would you like me to level with you? Yeah. And they would always say level with me. Okay, so that means I might tell you stuff you might not like to hear, but it's going to be the yeah. truth. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 do that. Which then gave me the opportunity to sit down and say, right, you're 40 years old and you've got nothing planned for your retirement. Does your wife know? Yeah. And they'd look at me, like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, someone needs to tell your wife that you've not done anything for your retirement. So it's either going to be me or you. Who do you <laughs> think you should tell her? Yeah. And, like, and they could see that I was really serious. Yeah. And so when you sell and you are really serious and, and, and you're there and it's not, you know, about, this is what salespeople get wrong. They're there and the prospect's there and it's kind of like, please, sir, become my client. Yes. Whereas for me, it's like, I'm as valuable as you in this meeting. Yeah. I'm as needed as you. And so that, that's where the levels were. And what's interesting, listening to you, you know your numbers. You've talked a lot actually about conversions of, you, you know, your outcome was to do a million a year and you need, therefore you needed to do X amount of deals. And, and a lot of salespeople don't, that I work with don't seem to know their numbers or track them. How important is that to you as part of the process? It's like an accountant not using an Excel spreadsheet, isn't it? It's like, would you trust him? 
Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a doctor not knowing anything about medicine. It's like, the, this is vital. You have to know your numbers. As much as you might not like them, yeah. you have to know them because we, we, to get anywhere, you need to know where you're going and you need to know when you want to be there. And whether that's Christmas every year or whatever that might be, you've got to know what your goal is and when you're going to achieve the goal by. And then you have to work back from your goal to understand it. And if you don't know the numbers, it's, it's, it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's, you're just, yeah. it's just a guessing game. Now, I know if you start a new job and you don't have any data before you, mm. you can argue that I don't have the data, but there should be enough examples of that data from other people. Yeah. Yeah. Salespeople hate using CRM systems, and I, oh, I don't want to have to keep updating a CRM system. I'm like, that's gold. That's, yeah. That is information to help you. Sod the company. Yeah. That helps you. Yeah. You've got to get your head into this. This is, this is, this is your benefit. Yeah. It's like the salespeople, again, are lazy, aren't they? A lot of them are lazy. They want, they want you know, give me a hot lead. I mean, that, that, the conversion rate of real estate brokers in Dubai is for 100 leads, they'll convert one sale. Really? Jesus. The best, the best is 4%. So four sales. And that's like outstanding. Most of them, it's 1%. And what do the salespeople say? Well, the leads, is, the leads are weak. Yeah. The leads are I want no, the Glengarry leads. No, based on, and they said Glengarry was real estate as well, or, or plots yeah. of land. But it's yeah. like, why are the leads weak? Why, why is it not you? Well, it couldn't, yeah. be, it couldn't be me. Look at my ego. Look at me. I'm, I'm great, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you're the one that's wasting all that time making 100 stupid phone calls to people when you can. So, how? So my, my question to you then, obviously, when you, you started learning from Tony Robbins and he got you to think big, right? Uh, and you touched on limiting beliefs. And I went through, funny enough, that exact same journey. It, I realized it was the, the negative stuff I was saying to myself that stopped me. But my, for my sales listeners, what's your number one tip of how they can start thinking differently and get the drive that's needed to succeed? I think, I think to think big, you have to remember you've got seven days a week, 24 hours a day, as we all know, okay? So to think big, you have to say, um, can I go out and make big sales in the same amount of time I can make small sales. So if, if, I don't know, if you're, a, if you're a, a real estate broker, because we're on that subject, um, can, can I go and sell big houses as opposed to one bedroom studios? Yeah. And if I sell the big house that's a million quid or the studio that's 200 grand, I'm going to get more commission for that one. So that's five times the commission. So focus on that as a financial advisor. Stop selling the £100 a month pensions to people. Yeah. Have a minimum standard of a £2,000 a month into a pension or minimum investment of 250 as opposed to 50. Yeah. And a lot of people out there go, well, it's all right for you. Trust me, I live in a country of 10 million people. 70% of those people earn less than what people get paid on the dole in the UK. Really? All right? So I have a very small market of wealthy people to work with in my part of the world. Yeah. In the UK, you've got 66 million people. In London, you've got 10 million people. And trust me, there's way more people with money in the UK than there is in the UAE. And we seem to be able to deal with it. So you can too. It's just, again, deciding yourself that that's what you're going to do and building out a strategy to do that and then being committed. And remember, it's not going to happen overnight, but persistent and consistent in your approach and be relentless and then put an hour aside every single day for continual learning. Whether that's picking up a Jim Quick memory book, okay, whether that's picking up the, in a Ben Angel's Unstoppable, whether that's Tony Robbins' Unshakable, pick up a book or an audio book and make time to learn and keep evolving because you've got to keep feeding yourself because you need inspiration. And you have, when you read books or you listen to books, you have aha moments along the way. Yes. 
And a lot of people will sit and look at a YouTube video and oh, I'm watching YouTube videos. Look, the reality is with all of this type of stuff, you can consume whatever you want. You have to take some action though to get anywhere. Absolutely. And if you don't take the action, you might as well just go and sit on a sun lounger, pick your dole check up, sit in the back garden of a council house and live like that because that's all you're gonna get. Absolutely. You touched on some great books there. I was gonna, I wanna finish that before we talk about how my audience can access your great stuff. What's your three best sales books you've ever read? Mm, sales books. Um, God, I'm so, I love Jim Collins, Good to Great. I think that's a great business yeah. book. Um, I love Jack Welch. He had a, a, a book called Winning that I loved. I read that over and over again. He wrote another one, but Winning was one that I really liked. Yeah. Um, God, I've read so many books on sales. Um, I love books when people tell their stories. So I just read uh, Phil Knight's book about oh, Nike. Right. Nike, Nike be, yeah, they used to be a client of mine. And so I met Phil once. And wow. so reading his story about what happened, I thought was fantastic. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, God, I could sit and reel off loads yeah. of them. Um, Jeffrey Gitomer's, you know, he, he wrote a couple of really great little books, you know, Who Stole My Cheese as well, you know, stuff like that. These little books that don't have to be war and peace. Yeah. Okay? You know, and again, depending on where you are in your journey as well, some people yeah. that don't necessarily have as much education, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk's Jab, 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 Right Hook is very, very valuable. And um, the, the Close of Survival Guide by Grant, you know, 10X as well by Grant yeah. Cardone. These are great books to read and listen to. Um, what have I, I, I just actually got another book that I was, I was, hold on a minute, I'll tell you right now because it's on my thing, I downloaded it. Um, there's a guy called Patrick Bet David, okay? Right. He has a podcast called uh, Valuetainment. And Patrick Bet David, okay, he's, he's brilliant. Like, he's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And so I've just ordered his book. I don't think, it, yeah, it comes out in August. Um, uh, your, your Next Five Steps. And so I've had a bit of pre-roll on that. And that's a really, really good book from what I've heard as well. Another one, uh, uh, Near Hiel, okay, um, uh, Indistractable. Salespeople are always distracted. Yeah. Okay? This teaches you the art of not being distracted. So I love that. that. I need that. Yeah, and you know, uh, there's, I mean, goodness me, there's so many. Um, it takes what it takes, Russell Wilson. Another one for sales as well is Russell Brunson's ExpertSecrets.com. Just awesome books. Absolutely. Yeah. Where can Spencer, where can my audience reach out, get your book and, and read, read and listen to your great content? If all of your audience go to my Instagram page mm. and follow, follow me at spencer.lodge and then they send me a DM saying, Spencer, I was listening to you um, with Tony. Can you send me a copy? And they send me, uh, they send me an email address. I will send them all a copy. Oh, you're a superstar. Really, it's the first gift been given on the podcast. So I really appreciate that. And I'll make sure they take action. Because as you said, you can knowledge is not power unless you do something with it. So I'll, I'll make sure they action that. Spencer, thank you so much for giving up your time. Honestly, huge, huge value they're given. Uh, I feel super pumped to go out there and pick up the phone and start selling. And I hope my audience do too. So really appreciate your time once again. Keep safe and uh, keep in touch. No worries, man. You take care soon. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks a lot.